1: Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone. The Bastards are back for this Monday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set with the Baltimore Orioles Losing another series, two to one, they are currently fourth place in the American League East, seven and a half games back from the uh, division-leading New York Yankees, who are sixteen and six. I believe they've won ten in a row as of today. Uh, Red Sox five games under five hundred. Quick disclaimer for any first time listeners this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining me tonight from the city of Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith.
0: How are you, Charlie? Ah. Uh, been fun it's been good uh but not for these games it's been it's been tough it's been real hard especially against baltimore
1: we were supposed to sweep man and it just
0: dropped the. Series. we need to take two out of three we need to take two we didn't get two we can't tough.
1: even scare baltimore
0: so bad that's that's not good
1: where can they find you on twitter charlie
0: so it's Smith underscore MLB. If you want to razz me, I'm all for it. Come find me, Smith underscore MLB.
1: Also joining us tonight from the nation's capital by way of Newport, Rhode Island, Job Goddard. Job?
2: How are we doing, gentlemen? Uh, initial takeaway is I love Camden Yards, beautiful ballpark, but I don't think I'm going to go to any more Red Sox games this year. Because this team is embarrassing. And the Red Sox fans who are upset with that take and the Heimbloom Illuminati can find me at (coughs) J-O-B-M-L-B.
1: No job applications, though.
2: None. I won't read them. I'll throw them out. In fact, I'm not even going to make that joke anymore. I'm upset with this team.
1: (laughs) Because the team is the joke. They are the joke. Yes,
2: indeed. (laughs) Okay. That is the problem.
1: Well, uh... Hopefully the Angels might have some severe jet lag and we can convert that to our advantage. But but the Red Sox still, coming into the month of May now, for the listening audience, uh, today is uh, May 2nd. Red Sox still have only won one series on the year <laughs> and tied with the Twins. Well, we may as well call that a win at this point, but
2: it's, it's getting pretty ugly. It's, it's been a tough time to be a Red Sox fan. I'm not going to lie. I'm ready to make some very drastic changes. I don't care that it's May 2nd. Uh, I'm excited to talk about it.
1: Well, all right. So, Lost the series this weekend, so the main segment for this show will once again be the weekend shit list. So, Charlie, why don't you uh, lead off? Who is uh, number one on your shit list?
0: Um, It's, it's sad because I really never thought in a million years, uh, maybe so, but the player that I just, I had really had high hopes for, for them going into this year, I thought we we're going to have like a, a repeat performance, but Kike Hernandez has been really struggling—not a little bit, a lot of it. He's not the only one, but I really, really wanted to see him do major work. And going two for eleven in the series with a, a couple of a couple of hits, it, it's just it's not happening. We're hitting below what we did last year through. You know, twenty-two games right now. We've still got the lone home run. We have no stolen bases. We're getting under two hundred. We're just we're not getting it done. And it's just it's not even close. And I used to get excited when I saw him come to the dish, but it's it's now just it's become a little bit scary. It's it's not it's not pleasant. We're striking out twenty-five percent of the at-bats now. It's, uh, it's only trending in the wrong direction. So I'm really, really hoping that he can he can figure this out because uh, I don't really know how we're going to fix this. Job, thoughts on Kike? Well, Kike,
2: this is complicated because I really like Kike Hernandez. I think he's a fan favorite for a reason. He plays hard. He plays a good center field. He also plays a good second base, and that kind of plays into my take. Kike Hernandez is not an everyday major league ball player. He wasn't an everyday major league ball player with the Dodgers. He was a super utility guy who hit 240, mostly played against left-handed pitching could crush a fastball and uh, you know, got about 180 to 200 at bats a year for a stacked Dodgers team. Now he comes to the Red Sox last season has a great season and all of a sudden, he's an all-star? No, the expectations for Kike have been set too high. The bar is too high by Red Sox fans. And it's time to readjust your expectations. I'm sorry, but Kike Hernandez is not going to be the 280 header with 100 RBIs that you all want him to be. I'm sorry. He's a great defensive player, plays hard, fan favorite. But he's
0: not that guy. Joe, what's, what's Kike getting paid this year? That's a good question. What is it? Seven million? It's like seven. It's like seven and a half million. That's not. That's not. Platoon pay. You're not paying Kike Hernandez to be a backup or in once every two, once every three game player. Well, you are paying him. Ideally, hold on. Wait, hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me finish. Okay. You're not paying him eight million dollars to sit on the bench and play every other game. You need him to perform. He's your everyday center fielder right now. He can play second base, but right now we have a log jam there too. If you have the choice between him and Trevor Story, I'd rather have Story go over to Short and figure out what else we can do with Xander. But Enrique Arnett is not getting paid $8 million to be a, a backup player, a platoon guy. So
2: I agree that he's not being paid to be a platoon guy, but he is a platoon guy. That's what he profiles as. That's what he's been his entire career. And I get it. It's a month, right? We played a 60-game season in 2020, and I'll be the first one to say that's a Mickey Mouse title. The Dodgers title in 2020 does not, to me, res- have the same resounding effect as 162 for a reason. If you were to stop the season last year at 60 games, the Chicago Cubs are leading the NL Central. It's not indicative of you know, winning baseball, but also Kike is not the, the guy that we saw last year. That is a major step forward in his career. And there was an article today in The Athletic, and I, I think it was Chad Jennings um, who writes for The Athletic, covers the Red Sox, who spoke with AAA hitting coach for the Red Sox, whose name escapes me at the moment about Tristan Casas and Jeter Downs and their progression and when we could expect them as reinforcements for the Red Sox. And he spoke about how progression is not linear. And in fact, there's no reason ever to believe that a guy is going to get better year after year. That if a guy hits 280, there's no expectation that the next year he should hit 290. In fact, regression is just as likely. doesn't matter if you're a big leaguer or not. Adjustments need to be made. And that really... Resonates with me in regards to Kike Hernandez because I think everyone assumed that last year hitting 240, or what were his numbers at the end of the year? 248, I would have to guess. And, you know, some of his other numbers would mean that this year he was going to take a big step forward, OBP over 300, and win some games for us with his arm and with his IQ. I just don't think that's a reasonable expectation for a guy. Whose entire career has been to be that that guy off the bench? He's a great ball player, he is, but he's not a starter.
0: Last and this year, team, he put unfortunately
2: up... he's your number five bat right now, in mm-hmm. a lot of ways.
0: Sorry, okay, I apologize. Didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, he had his second best statistical season last year. He had twenty home runs for. I think it was just the second time in his career. He only did it once when he was in LA. Um, I'm pretty sure. If he didn't have like a, a career high in RBIs last year, like 60, 64, something like that, he, he had 60 RBIs once or twice before that. So he had a really, really good year. Keith Hernandez is 30 years old. I'm not expecting the downswing to have kicked in yet. I'm, I'm expecting him to do something similar. Sure, regression a little bit, a little bit. This is major you're 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 like a completely different person no one's afraid of you at the dish at all and here's the thing you're facing baltimore you're going two for 11 against baltimore what excuses do you have
2: there is no excuse this is closer to the player that he's going to be for the rest of his career than the player that we saw in 2021 that's that's just a reality of the situation not an excuse just a reality
1: when Kike was signed last year to the two-year $14 million roughly, uh, deal, I don't doubt that he was going to be an everyday player because I believe he was. But he was looked at initially as a super utility guy, and there was an expectation amongst the majority of the fan base that he would get most of his time at second base. And by the middle of spring training, I was telling everybody on the crew – that no i i bet he's going to be more of of an outfielder whether that was left field center field we weren't sure verdugo had played 2020 20 in right so but i felt he would probably go to the outfield that's where he did go he had a 2.1 defensive war out there i don't know if that's elite but it's well above average
2: it's it is very elite
1: yeah actually. so uh, it's he became he became a strong uh you know center fielder but his his numbers you talk about trading Hunter Renfro because they were selling high <laughs> i'm wondering if we traded the wrong guy <laughs> i think they might
2: have traded the wrong guy and traded for the wrong guy in, yeah and Jackie Bradley the uh, K over there
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Renfro's hitting 253 right now, right along the lines he was last year. Hasn't drawn a ton of walks. His OBP is under three at the moment, but I think it was uh, basically last year for the first month or two. He's hit five dingers. This isn't an easy year for home runs. Uh, We were on like a seven game, seven or eight game streak with no home runs until another guy uh, that we'll talk about later hit one. But... But I'm just, people are probably still going to choose Kike over Renfro. But here's my next question. Your primary outfield, as of right now, Alex Verdugo, Kike Hernandez, Jackie Bradley. When in the last 20 years did we have an outfield that bad? We haven't. (laughs) Exactly, we we haven't. In my
2: lifetime, I'm 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 24 years old. The Red Sox have always had a better outfield than that.
1: It's the weakest
0: outfield we've ever had. I don't even think it's close. Like I, it's not even close. Like it's it's not just bad. It's sad, and there's a reason why we're not winning games.
1: None of them are performing. I mean, Bradley's at the bottom of the lineup because that's where he's been his entire career. They don't know where to put Kike. He's moving from the top of it to the middle part of it. Uh, So is Verdugo. The whole lineup has an identity crisis, and Cora doesn't seem to know what he wants to do with uh, all of them. Trevor Story started all three games in the leadoff spot. Stranded a lot of base runners as well, so we've got a huge problem.
2: Well, uh, let me put it this way, and Terry, I mentioned this several times last year, but I was on a show with Andrew. Andrew is uh, generally the optimist in, in the crew. Our listeners know this. And Andrew would keep me from going down the rabbit hole. I don't think Charlie's going to do that. So I think that Bloom, and Terry, I know you somewhat agree with me, would love to get rid of all traces of a Dave Dombrowski. Oh, that's
1: my take, man. I've been saying that all winter. This
2: is your take. I think that starts and ends with the fact that last season, he did not want to win. I know people are going to say, of course he wants to win. He's a big league GM. Yes, of course he wants to win. But I think as far as his five-year plan or his seven-year plan, whatever the time frame is to become Andrew Friedman and the Dodgers, I think it it was slowed by having to go get a guy like Kyle Schwarber and not being able to trade off pieces like Xander Bogarts, pieces like Nate Evaldi, uh some of these other guys that I think – could be dealt in order to bring back serious value that will build the team his way in three years' time. And I think this might be the year for that. I'm, I'm, I'm pressing the button. It's May 2nd for me at uh, or May 1st, 10.49 p.m. Eastern, and I'm pressing eject. That's it. I want to blow it up start trading pieces and getting pieces back. This team has won one series through May. That is an embarrassment. We're going nowhere in the American League East, and unfortunately it's going to be a really long season of baseball.
1: Charlie, are you uh, you going to bail out with Maverick over here?
0: Ha. <laughs> uh. I'm going to try to remain a little bit more optimistic before I hit oops on 2022 because I kind of feel like there's proper justification. I mean, you're getting rocked by Baltimore. I mean, j- just just to, to put this lightly, Red Sox enter the season with the sixth highest payroll in Major League Baseball. Baltimore, last, 30th out of 30. They have a lower payroll than the Cincinnati Reds, who are 3-19. and 19. And the Red Sox find themselves half a game ahead of the Baltimore Orioles. They're 9-14. and Baltimore is 8-14. and How do you make an excuse for this team right now? And I'm trying to be optimistic. I'm going to try to play the role of Andrew, and it's going to hurt me a little bit. But I'm trying really hard to remain positive, and there's very little to be positive about because I know I will go off. And, and I've been known to go off. But we still don't have Chris Sale back yet. Paxson's not here yet. We still have a couple pieces that, that are still not here. We're we're still waiting for the... How long is it going to take for Casas to come up? I am so over Bobby D. I am over him like a bad habit. I can't stand him. When he comes up to the dish, I actually get frustrated. I... I he needs to go. He he is need to go. We kept him. You know, it, it's like that movie Johnny uh, Walk the Line with Johnny Cash, when the, when the dad goes, the devil took the wrong son. We traded the wrong guy. <laughs> Michael Chavis should have stayed. Bobby D should have been sent home packing. And instead, we kept the wrong one.
1: Well, we could option I, Bobby D if we had any semblance and of death. I'm all
0: for it. Yeah. I'm all for it. Let me tell you. So, uh, and Joe, I see your hand up too, because I know you want to say something too. Um, I'm not going to hit reset just yet. I'm going to give it another two to three weeks. And if we still are in big trouble in a month, I'm going to try to remain a little bit more optimistic and, and kind of take a, a page out, out of, uh, you know, one of our, our, our other co hosts book. I'm going to try to remain positive. We still don't have all of our pieces back yet. I think that once that happens, things will change a little bit we're not going to have a month of April every month. So I'll try to remain a little bit more positive. Joe, what were you going to add? You're not
2: wrong. And I know to stay on topic here because I know Terry hates when I wander, right? <sighs> the topic of the show is the weekend shit list. I was at two of these three games. I had great seats. Really up close. Who isn't on the shit list? Like, let's be honest. It'd be much faster to go through who isn't on the shit list. Top of my list of guys that you might not even think about. Like, sure, we can go Bobby Dahlbeck. Honestly, we can go the entire offense. They all suck. But uh, number one on my list is actually Carlos Um, I thought, and I pulled up the exact situation because I was at this game. I was sitting along the third baseline, about five rows up. So I, I really did have a good view of it. Almost the exact same view as, as Fabulous did. With two outs in the seventh inning of Saturday's game two. Trevor Story's on first base. And Rafael Devers does what he does best and hits a ball 105 miles an hour off the bat. It's on the ground. Goes right through the second baseman. Playing behind second base in a shift who boots it into left field and story is rounding third and fellas throws up the stop sign at this point in the game, you're up one, nothing. There's two outs and you have Matt Barnes ready to come in in the bullpen to face Cedric Mullins. The only hitter in Baltimore that is to be feared. And I don't think I'm exaggerating. I think Cedric Mullins is an all-star.
1: Well, Mountcastle,
2: Mountcastle's a great player, too. Yeah, Doesn't doesn't scare me to lead off an inning the way Cedric Mullins does. Agreed. Okay. Cedric Mullins, I think, is one of the better players in this league, and I think if he was playing on a different team, he'd get a lot more respect. A one-run lead for this bullpen. This bullpen's been pretty damn good. This bullpen doesn't have Garrett Whitlock available right now because he's playing in the starter role. Tanner Houck went four innings in game one. So he's not available. Robles got absolutely rocked in game one. was very lucky to come out of there with a win. So you don't have your, your number one option. You don't have your 1A, 1B option. And you don't have your number two option in, in Robles. How do you not send Trevor Story there? I, I understand. And fans are going to think, you know, haters of this show, people who think that we hate the Red Sox, are going to say, well, A, you don't make the last out at home. With two outs, you don't send the runner. And B, Xander Bogarts is the best hitter in baseball so far this year. So give him a chance to hit. To that, I say God no. Send the runner. Trevor Story is the fastest guy on the team. He is absolutely wheeling around third base. And if he didn't see that stop sign, or if he pulled a Manny Ramirez and blew through that stop sign, he had it by three feet. He could have been safe standing up, and it cost us a a, a run in that inning. They pitched around Xander Bogarts. He wasn't able to get a base hit there. And the next thing you know, Barnes comes in, double to Cedric Mullins. All of a sudden, it's tied up, and we lose in 10 because this offense can't score. Did you guys know that we lead the league in sacrifices with 25? 25 sacrifices for the Boston Red Sox. This is not the Pittsburgh Pirates. Doesn't what the surprise hell is going me. on? Yeah. It's disgusting. I, and in this situation, I would have played small ball. The way this offense is going, you do anything to manufacture an extra run. It is inexcusable that you expect, as a coach who's watched this team, and is more in tune with this team than three of us will ever be by nature of being with them every day, expect that somehow in the top of the seventh inning on a beautiful night in Baltimore in April, they're going to wake the hell up. you got to send the runner. So Feblis, I think, cost us the the, the extra run that would have led to us avoiding extra innings. Avoiding the entire debacle in the tenth inning that we're going to talk about, and we wouldn't be doing a weekend shit list for the fourth week in a row.
1: It it's crazy how one play has cost us games. I mean, if in the I think it was the Tampa series, if if Story can get that ball to first, game's over. So you you gain one back there. Now you're four under five hundred. Um, and and there's been others as well, and uh, it's just
2: frustrating. Well, Terry, can I give you a stat? Yeah, go ahead. Can I give you an interesting stat? Yeah. I found out today that the Boston Red Sox in 2022 are one of only three teams ever to be walked off by every team in the division in the month of April in the history of baseball. The Orioles walked us off. The Rays walked us off, the Jays walked us off, and the Yankees walked us off. That is embarrassing.
1: That is embarrassing. I've got a I've got an even this stat will make you want to barf. Here here's one for you. The Red Sox on-base percentage for the month of April was 273. That's the lowest it's been. I'm not exaggerating. That, that's the lowest it's been in 90 years. Again, not exaggerating. That's a stat. That's how, that's how putrid we've been, and it's, it's terrible.
0: Charlie, thoughts? I'm glad I was muted. I'm really <laughs> glad I was muted because I was not saying very nice words. Uh, that's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. But far from surprising when six or seven of your guys are hitting 217 or lower. Devers is hitting. J.D. Martinez is hitting. Xander Bogarts is hitting. Nobody else is. Trevor Story hitting 217. Just signed a ridiculous contract. Franchi Cordero just came up. Not really going to say anything bad about him. Enrique Hernandez. We already talked about Kike. 195. Jackie Bradley. 147. Christian Vazquez, 220. Who else do you want to know about? Bobby Dahlbeck, 147. Plawicki 150. It just... I mean, Verdugo, 238. We're just... Arroyo, 186. It's not acceptable. This isn't like a major league... It doesn't look like we have major league players hitting at the major league level right now. Yeah, Joe?
2: Well, I, I want to just piggyback off that by, by saying one or two quick things. One, there is no reason. And I say this to all those people who just have this innate confidence in this Red Sox offense. There is no reason now to believe that this team will improve as the weather gets warmer. We are very clearly entering a new era of baseball. We're back to the dead ball. The ball is not carrying the way that it has in previous years. And uh, you know, according to Chris Bassett of the Mets, the ball is different inning to inning. There's no consistency. There's no uniformity to that. And this team, unfortunately, because it's being built by Heimblum, who is I actually think he's very good at his job. But he built this team around the three true outcomes. He built this team to walk. He built this team to hit home runs. And to lead the league in strikeouts. Because he's got Bobby Dahlbeck, Jackie Bradley Jr. And uh, insert, take your pick from Franchi Cordero slash whoever the other option might be. In the bottom third of the lineup. I would assume that over the, and I made this statement in February, I'm making it again now, the bottom third of our lineup is one of the bottom, worst bottom thirds of the lineup in all of baseball. And I think that's going to really come back to haunt the Red Sox this season because they don't play good situational baseball.
1: I mean, the, the whole outfield is bad, as, as I outlined earlier. First base is bad. So you're getting most of your production out of third base, shortstop, a little bit out of second, and then DH. That's where it's all coming from.
2: And right now, your offense is a 35-year-old full-time DH with an injury. Xander Bogarts who's opting out after this season to go be a New York Yankee. And Rafi Devers, who's got one year left on his contract before he can go and get absolutely paid as a third baseman who can finally pick the ball and make a good, strong throw across the diamond. This is not what the Red Sox banked on when they went and signed Trevor Story. They banked on having multiple bats show up and make the fans realize or believe that they didn't need the bats of Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers because they could be replaced. Guess what? If you take Xander Bogarts off this team, this team is the lowest it's been in my lifetime. I'm 24 years old. It's a 2011 Red Sox collapse. It's a bottom-of-the-barrel ALE's team, and it's an embarrassment offensively. It really is. This team is, is run by three guys, and two of those guys won't be here in two years' time unless Bloom does something about it. Now, if Bloom, and I, I've said this on every episode for the last six months, signs Raphael Devers to a monster extension, then I will stop talking. But until he does i'm bloom is on the shit list for the weekend
1: a lot of money comes off the books this year i expect they'll probably spend it in ways that could be somewhat creative so i i think conceivably we could still be competitive one way or the other i do feel like they're going to make one last hard charge to sign Rafi devers this winter they already offered him at least 200 something so They're probably going to have to come up 100. Maybe that gets it done. We'll see. On my shit list for this weekend, I'm going with Matt Barnes. He's got a 587 ERA on the season. And in nine games, nine appearances, only has five strikeouts on the year. His strikeout per nine is under six. He led the league in 2019 with a 15.9, I think, strikeout per nine. So he's striking out two-thirds less than he was at his best. In the uh, extra inning game, he was the pitcher who coughed up the lead. Uh, He got two quick outs, two quick fly outs from Robinson, Chirinos, Chris Owings, and then Mr. MVP, as Job was saying, Cedric Mullins comes up. Hits a double. Anthony Santander comes up, hits a single, which drives in Mullins. And it, it spiraled after that point. We were tied. We went into extra innings, and, and we know how that ended. And I'm just tired of seeing Mark, Matt Barnes in high leverage. It's been almost a year since he's been dominant in any form since he's been any semblance of a late inning reliever, which ended in late June when the the sticky stuff was banned, just gradually he started to slide like he always does anyway. And I think they're trying to salvage that contract. He's getting 7 million this year. I think probably 7 million or so next year. It was a two year extension and it's not working out well and i don't know why we're trying to force it. Matt Barnes is not a late inning reliever and he never really was. He's never done it for a full season. He's he's a half a season guy and the dude might be totally past it at this point at this point in his career. Relievers typically don't have a long shelf life outside of the really elite ones. So i i think we're seeing literally the last of it.
2: How old is Matt Barnes?
0: Thirty-two years old. That Matt right Barnes there is the was... end. Here's the thing with Matt Barnes: Matt Barnes was electric last year. He came out and it was two or three strikeouts every appearance, and that's why he got the contract he got. We're gonna be we're gonna be paying this guy sixteen million over the next two years, plus the 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 buyout in twenty four, which is another I think two million. We just got—we're screwed here. It's two years and 19 million. After everything's said and done, he's gonna get paid. We're not gonna be able to be on from Matt Barnes unless he has a resurgent year. And if he does, I'm moving Matt Barnes. I'm moving him for whatever. Even if I'm not taking a pick back, you can—you want to pay the contract? That's cool. I'd be willing to to eat up some of that money to get him out because. I, I think his, his best time is behind him. After spider Tack, after that whole exposure, Matt Barnes, last year, when he, when he started the year off, insane. Absolutely insane. I, I don't think there was one hitter that was like, all right, great, I have a chance at this. Because in 2020, he started off April on fire. 2021. On absolute, 2021, excuse me, thank you. 2021 on absolute fire. He was the the one guy you did not want to face. He only had one blip in all of April. He struck out 20-plus guys in 14 innings, had one bad appearance. He was the guy. And then came the spider spider attack issue. Once that happened, we started seeing slips. Was he that bad? No. Did he have moments where he got absolutely cracked? Absolutely. It was towards the end of the year he completely fell apart right after the All-Star break. He was blowing stays left and right. Lost a couple games in a row. He was not somebody I trusted. And right now, he's not somebody I want in any, any remotely close game. Because as soon as Barnes came in, I, I already said this, this is not good. I almost feel like we threw in the towel. Because he hasn't earned that right. He hasn't earned his rollback yet. And it's, it's coming and it's biting us right where the sun don't shine. It's not fun.
2: Well, I agree with the both of you. I I was there at the game. My two takeaways are, one, his curveball doesn't have that sharp bite that makes him effective where it falls off the table about two-thirds of the way to the plate. The other piece is he's having struggles locating the fastball up in the zone. He's not attacking hitters. He's nibbling. It's a confidence issue. And maybe that's because his fastball isn't 97 anymore. It tops out now around 95. And maybe he feels like that extra couple miles an hour is necessary because he's not performing to the capability that he can, that he needs to. And uh, he is proving to me my belief that you never pay a pitcher in a contract year. I understand the spider tack is a, a probably a big piece of it. But to me, the one position in all of baseball that always outperforms in a contract year is always pitching. You can look across the board at all pitchers in contract years. Their ERAs come down about 0.3 points. Doesn't sound like a lot. But the difference between a 4 and a 3-7 is a lot. The difference between a 3-3 three, three and a 3 is insane. And Matt Barnes had that edge, got paid, fell off the table, and now that money is practically dead money. You're going to have to eat the whole thing, if not a large portion to move that contract.
0: I, I There
2: are a significant amount of contracts on this roster that come up next season. There's a significant, as Terry said, portion of the money that comes off the books. But there's also significant holes you have to fill. We don't have a closer. In reality, after this weekend, other guys that are on my shit list are also righty relievers. We only have one.
1: Real quick, though, you may not know this. um, Robles was having a a hard time with his pitch comp thing. He was. And they ended up getting rid of it uh, in the middle of the inning. So I, I don't know if that was a culprit or not, but I mean, it wasn't his it, best. It happened
2: it. twice. It happened twice uh, in this series. We saw it once for the Orioles in game two as well, where the, the pitch comp just went out. Couldn't hear it. Um, there were some crossups. The one thing that worried me with Robles and I was sitting two rows back of home plate right behind the on deck circle. The very good view of the pitcher not a very good view of the strike zone with the umpire in my way um so i can't really tell you was he throwing strikes was he attacking hitters? i can't tell you what i can tell you is every single hitter who came up in that inning whether they were out or not made solid contact that if the ball wasn't in dead ball might have cleared the fence and there was at least one that went to left field that in old Oriole Park is absolutely gone. And yet he got out of that inning. We won the game. So he gets a pass. No one is scared of anyone in this Red Sox bullpen when Garrett Whitlock's in the starting rotation. And Garrett Whitlock has only pitched his career high in pitches last week, 61.
1: Well, yeah, he got the count up pretty fast and only lasted a few innings, so hopefully uh, in his next outing. And he is going to make the next turn through the rotation. I was going to get to that in a second, actually. Really random. Ryan Brazier is going to be 35 years old in August. <laughs> it's just insane. Yeah, I figured well, we, he was closer to we 30. We always think of
2: him as the young guy because he came up as a young guy, was effective.
1: Went to Japan.
2: Had some control issues, went back down, then had some injuries, and now he's back and everyone wants to remember him as the young guy. We noticed it early in the season. His velocity is not what it was. It um, is, it's It's going NFL, back up. And it's going back up, so maybe he's healthy and, and he can be a difference maker. He's been very good in, in the few clean inning opportunities that he's been given. Um, he but, hasn't
1: given up a hit in three appearances.
2: And all three of those are clean innings, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Uh. I don't know. Uh, three appearances ago, it was only for one-third of an inning, so I'm not sure how that played no, out. I but... guess
2: then it would be two two straight clean innings. I know he pitched a clean inning or did the he... other night against Baltimore in this series.
1: Did he pitch today? No, he did not. Okay. He did
2: not, but he, he did pitch on Saturday, um, or maybe that was Friday. No, that clean inning.
1: was uh, Saturday. Yeah. Saturday,
2: game two, yeah. He pitched a clean inning. Uh, he was very good. His fastball command was really good up in the zone. And he was attacking hitters, which I I like to see. It seems to me that this Red Sox pitching staff struggles when there's guys on base. And I wonder if that's a mental thing or if that's a a talent gap. Because another guy that's on my shit list, we'll talk about in a minute, really struggled with guys on base in this inning or in this series.
1: And who who is that? Go go and ahead. That with would it. be
2: Saulymora. Um I understand I understand the offense lost game 2. I do. Saulymora came came to the plate or came to the mound and intentionally walked the 7 hitter in the Orioles lineup to set up a double play in the bottom of the 10th. Mathematically, I know setting up the double play is the right move. God, did I hate that.
1: That's Holy a good God. I hate move, walking
2: though. the righty hitter. I, I hate it. You're walking the righty hitter who hits 177 at the bottom of the Orioles lineup to then face the number eight hitter. And if he doesn't ground into a double play, then Cedric Mullins is going to get a chance to hit. That already burned you once in the game. So I hated that decision. He gets up there. Throws a couple of really good splitters. Foul ball, bunt, foul ball, bunt. The third pitch that he throws, he fields it cleanly. He looks to third. I think he had a double play. And he threw the ball away and cost us the game. Now, that loss is not on him. The loss is on the offense. But God, if that doesn't encompass the issues with this team so far this year. Holy good God, did that feel like a punch in the gut. And it's really just, it's an issue with this team. Guys get on base and they get jittery. And they just forget how to perform. If he takes an extra half a second, throws that ball to third base, I think Rafi can get the runner at first. I really do. And then you're looking at two down, man on second base, And the number nine hitter coming up, you're probably looking at the 11th inning where the Red Sox offense goes 0 for 3 and we lose the game in 11 innings. But at least you get there. And I just, it's the little things. The Trevor Story throw to first. Some throwing the ball away. They're costing us games and we can't afford to do that. We're seven and a half games back and it's May 2nd. This is an embarrassment.
1: His uh, ERA is actually 2.57 because it's always inherited runners that that are scoring on him.
2: But I don't know what the numbers are, Terry, and I'd be curious if you have these numbers. How many inherited runners have the Red Sox pitching staff allowed to to score?
1: Oh, I don't know. Yeah,
2: I bet you it's north of thirty percent.
1: Well, I mean, Brazier struggled you know, in the first part of the season with it. Salamora has um whoever comes in after Diekman after all of his walks is is given up runs for short. Sure. Strom actually And whoever does.
2: comes in for Pavetta is S- getting absolutely lit up.
1: Strom gives up a lot of uh, inherited runs and and but it's obviously not inflected uh, reflected in his own average Real quick, before we get into the series, uh, one development, though, which uh, came out on Saturday, I already kind of alluded to it. Tanner Houck, for the time being, will go to the bullpen. Garrett Whitlock will stay in the rotation. Is this punishment for Tanner Houck for not being vaccinated and basically the Red Sox sending a message if you, don't, if you don't get the shot, we're going to minimize your role since we can't count on you in, in big series in Toronto.
2: No, I don't think it's them sending a message. I think it's them doing what's best for the team, which is putting team first in that scenario. If you can't count on the guy in Toronto and he really, really screwed your pitching staff in Toronto. He cost us at least one game by not having Garrett Whitlock available, and then he messed up the rotation for the next series. And it turns out we would lose two or three to the Orioles. So I'm going to sell, you know, to use a to use a buy or sell analogy. I'm going to sell that this is punishment, but I'm going to buy that this is a minimization of his role because he is hurting the team, and I. We'll harp on this point all season long. I harped on it with Chris Sale. You are not worth as much to the team if you can't play in Toronto. If you can't play those tough division games, you can't. Aaron Judge wasn't vaccinated. Guess who went and got the vaccine when he found out that he couldn't play in Toronto? Aaron Judge.
1: I think Rizzo, too, actually.
2: And so did Anthony Rizzo. You're absolutely right. The Yankees aren't messing around. The Yankees said, hey, we pay you $31 million a year. Go get the shot. Tanner Houck is on a rookie contract. He had a good first season, no doubt about it. But he's no Chris Sale. He's no, you know, I've earned my place in this game and I I can dictate how I feel about things. If he doesn't want to get the shot, he absolutely should get his role minimized because it's going to hurt the team. That's my opinion. And I'm not one of those guys who's going to say everyone needs to get the shot. But if you can't play in Toronto, you can't be starting pitcher on the Boston Red Sox. We had to play
0: there for 10 games. Charlie, your thoughts? I think that's like, I respect it, but I think that is so soft. I think that is so soft to blame one player for not getting that vaccine, regardless of your stance, regardless of how you feel. If your employer is requiring you to do it, then you have to do it. If they're giving you the option not to do it, I don't think it's fair to blame one person for that team. They didn't hit. No one's hitting. He's a pitcher. He came out and did his job against Baltimore. They could have easily switched the roles around, put Hauk as a starter, bring Garrett Whitlock into the bullpen. I think that narrative is so overplayed. I I think it's ridiculous. You're you're putting losses on one player. Who I mean, I'm trying I'm trying to fathom the, the mindset. Like regardless of people's stance on getting it, not getting it you're you're expressing bias for certain players over others if chris sale has the vaccine or doesn't have the vaccine at this point it doesn't matter chris sale is not pitching it doesn't matter there are so many other issues with this team that do not involve pitching and we're focusing on that and that all of a sudden has to be oh the reason why we're losing because one player doesn't have the vaccine the reason why we're losing is because we can't hit the damn baseball that's why we're losing we can't hit home runs we can't, we can't close out games. It's got nothing to do with just it, it, it is pathetic in my opinion that we're going to throw this on one player. One. I think that's so sad because we've lost 13 games. You can blame one. Guess what? 10 and 12. We're still way under or, or nine, nine and 15. We're, we're 10 and 14. We're still four games under 500. We're still playing crap. So I just, I think it's, I think it's soft. And I think we're not focusing on the bigger issues here. See, I, I don't want the
2: takeaway to be from, from my response to Terry's question that I think he should be punished for this or that he should be to blame for losing games. My, my takeaway is that if he can't help you in Toronto where you need to win games, then he absolutely needs to have a different role. That that's That's my takeaway. And that's not a... You know, oh, go get the vaccine because you're not available for your team. If you're not available, vaccination-related or otherwise, you can't have the same role that you otherwise would. That's just a simple fact. You can't have a guy penciled in to be your starter every fifth day if he can only go 25 of 30 starts because he can't play in Toronto. That's a division opponent. Unfortunately, we have to go there twice this season. And I don't think, and I will die on this hill, that Garrett Whitlock to the rotation is a good move for this team. I think if Cora had his way, he wouldn't be making that switch, but he's making that switch because he doesn't want to have to shuffle his rotation every time they have to go to ball, uh, to Toronto. And that's why he's doing it. It's not a punishment. It's a change of pace. Terry, your thoughts.
1: I don't know if he's being punished or not. It was the first thought that popped into my head. But here's the thing. He's got an ERA of 241 on the season. He has a career ERA of 284. Now, the walk's obviously a problem, but ultimately it hasn't come back to haunt him or the Red Sox. So here's where I have a problem with it. He's not your sixth best pitcher. Okay, there's there's other pitchers that aren't quite as good as him. Rich Hill, Nick Pavetta, namely. So, I love Whitlock in the rotation. I'm not complaining about that. I've been clamoring for it longer than anyone here. So, I still think Houck has to stay in the rotation. And he's he's gone through the order more than twice uh, a couple of times this season. So... And the the splitter is getting more effective, uh, you know, in recent outings. So I just hate the fact that he's going to be in that long relief role and not not a starter. I'm not a fan. Charlie, any
0: more thoughts? I mean, I understand where people are coming from, that this is a punishment, but you can manipulate the rotation to get it so that he doesn't have to worry about pitching in Toronto. I just – that's just my take. I mean, I, I think you can still get him his, his total number of starts. You don't have to worry about him pitching in Toronto because there's going to be a lot of players that don't do it. I think Toronto needs to wake up as it stands, but, I mean, they're doing this to their advantage. They're not going to have to work facing teams at full strength. So why would they want to do something that helps benefit other teams? They're not going to worry about it. So if, if you don't want to play ball in Toronto – Unfortunately, they're not going to be able to play. They're going to have to send a couple guys up from taxi, whatever, and that's just going to be the situation for a couple of days. Every single person in this group picked Toronto to beat the Red Sox all year long. We all picked Toronto to be the AL East winner. That was it. Done. End of conversation. No one thought Toronto was going to get blown away by the Red Sox, not after what we saw this year. The fact that we won one out of 4, I thought that's how many games we were going to win. Two would have been a blessing. Baltimore, we should have won two out of three. The fact that we won one is pathetic. That's my that's my final say on that.
2: All right. I absolutely agree. Uh, I'm going to just let Charlie's last take stand for the both of us, Terry, because I think he <laughs> hit the nail on the head.
1: All right. Fair enough. Let's uh, just go ahead and get into the series here. Tons of conflicting uh, info here on when exactly Shohei Otani will start uh, ESPN schedule has it as Wednesday CBS sports says Tuesday. I'm just going to go with ESPN here because they seldom let us down on the The normal MLB site, though, it's all TBD for um, Anaheim. So we'll just roll with ESPN. This is going to be a tough series, an extremely tough series. Uh, You got Michael Walker, who we feel pretty good about. That's the good news. The bad news is he's facing Noah Syndergaard uh, in game one. So
2: hard to not like Syndergaard in that matchup. Oh, I actually like the Red Sox in this matchup. And I, I think I've been consistent in thinking that we're going to win <laughs> Your a lot of games pitching. With Michael Walker. You know, the greatest pitcher on the staff at this point. Um, but I also think Syndergaard is, is very much over the hill. And the Red Sox have a decent chance to win this game. The only issue that I foresee is that if if the Red Sox get down in this game, They will lose this game. Anaheim has a good bullpen. And Anaheim has Mike Trout and Shohei Otani to score runs. Alongside Walsh, who's turning into a great player.
1: Well, I mean, Syndergaard doesn't have the strikeouts this year, but his ERA is just a little over 2, 212, so... Still getting guys out, regardless. Uh, his not walking anybody. His whip is zero point eight two.
0: So, uh, so. Go ahead. Sir. I, I know how I know how uh, Job feels about Michael Waka and I and I'm not going to take anything away from him. Wacha's averaging five innings and one earned run a game uh, this year. The problem is that we haven't seen him go any longer than that, really. Uh, Thor has done progressively better as each game has gone on with the season. Like he two hit the, the Astros through five plus only had that one strike on that game, but his strikeout numbers have continued to go up and they're stretching him out more and more. And I think that, um, of the three games, I really want Walker to win this one. I really do. Um, I think this is going to be a toss up. We're, we're either going to win one or two out of this series. Um, I don't know it, it I, I don't know if I can bet against Thor. That's the thing. And I the the offense for Anaheim for Los Angeles, excuse me, I shouldn't say Anaheim for Los Angeles terrifies me. Their whole outfield is terrifying. Walsh is great. Uh you got Ward who's blowing up. Mike Trout is Mike Trout. I mean, we don't need to even talk about him. Um, their team is is terrifying. And the Red Sox right now, they're not scoring runs. So I'm gonna give the edge to Thor.
1: I'm also going to pick the Angels in that first game. I just think they're going to have the offense, and they're just the better balanced team right now. I, last I checked, they're in first place. Charlie would know.
0: Oh, they're most certainly in first place, <laughs> yeah. and I absolutely picked them to win the AL West when all four of you guys laughed at me. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: I picked the Angels to win, and they're 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 not running away with it, but they're they're in first place by by a couple. I think they're in first by two and a half games. I'm double checking right now. Uh, two and a half games to the to the Mariners, and then you know, Houston looks lost like Bambi on ice. It's awful.
1: This game is gonna be fun. And very fortunately, it's a primetime game. On Wednesday, we have Garrett Whitlock versus Shohei Otani, barring no setbacks to the groin issue he had in Sunday's game. So the future of the Red Sox versus the MVP of uh, reigning MVP of major league baseball. So Joe, who do you
2: like in that start? Well, I like the reigning MVP, the face of baseball. I don't know how you can pick anyone else. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't see us winning as many games as the two of you do. And I think that this is going to be one of the more fun series to watch on the season. I really do think the Angels are a fun team. They're not as good as Charlie thinks they are, but they're not as bad as they have been in years past. What? <laughs> the Seattle oh, Mariners are going to win that division. I, I've been very clear about that from day one.
1: I'm sticking with the
0: Astros, which was my pick. Yep. Uh, so I'm actually going to go upset special here, and I think Whitlock's going to get the dub. And I, this, is, this is my one little surprise, because I don't think we're going to win game one. I, I can't go pessimistic and go uh, we're going to go 0-3. I think we're going w- to win one uh, out of the three, and this is the game that I think we're really going to do it. I think it's going to be potentially Whitlock and Hauk, and they just go the whole way. Six innings, three innings for a save, or five plus, three plus, and they're just going to go back and forth. Uh, that's that's just this little little vision I had in my mind, and then it's just going to be like a passing of the torch. Like if you start... I'll finish it out for you. If you start, I'll finish it out for you. And that's just how it's going to be. I think this is going to be the one game that we win. It'll be a close one. It'll probably be a one run game.
1: I'm taking the angels again. I just think this Red Sox team is trash. I hope they prove me wrong, Uh, but I just, I don't like what I'm seeing right now. And I don't think the angels are going to be afraid of the Red Sox at all. So, Final game of the series: Rich Hill versus Reed Detmers. Detmers, I don't know how he pronounces it. I've literally never heard of him, um, but he's got a five something ERA. Most of that looks like it was uh, blown up by his second start of the season against the Rangers. They tuned him up for five runs. He hasn't given up two or uh, he hasn't given up more than two runs in three out of the other four starts. And I'll say this, these are the types of guys that the Red Sox in the past year, year and a half, you, you think you're going to light them up and they end up shutting us down. So, Job, who do you like in this one?
2: I like the Angels. Um, I don't want to like the Angels because I think this is actually supposed to be the one we win. But uh, I'm going to pick against the Red Sox until they prove that they can be a Major League Baseball team. And uh, they haven't done that yet. So the Angels are going to take two out of three. A- and Angels are going to start looking for trade partners for Xander Bogarts.
0: Go ahead, Sean. My apologies, Joe. I didn't mean to cut you off. That's my my fault. Um, I'm, I'm going to say this. I think the Angels will end up pulling this one out too. They have a starter that can go four plus, five plus. Uh, we haven't seen that for Rich Hill. He's averaged four innings the last two starts. No runs allowed, which is great. Five strikeouts, three walks over the last two, five hits. I'd, we've seen the ERA go down, but then you go to the bullpen, and then it just becomes the Angels show. And so well, I think I think the Angels will win game three.
2: Charlie, you mentioned Rich Hill going for. Rich Hill had a, a perfect game going. Gave up a single. And Cora pulled him on Saturday. There's not a lot of faith in Rich Hill. He's really not a starter so much as an opener, the way Cora is using him at the moment.
1: He's a two-times-through-the-order guy. That seems to be the hard and fast rule with him. Rich Hill is also twice your
2: age. At his age, I'd like to see him piggyback with Tanner Houck. I think that the way they moved it on Saturday, that might be... I know Charlie mentioned Hauk maybe with the Whitlock start, but I'd like to see a Hauk-Hill kind of piggyback movement. And uh, I actually think that might be the future for this Red Sox team. If they can get James Paxton back, maybe even Chris Sale back to go sets of two. Like a a Paxton, Hauk, and a, a Whitlock Sale. That's two wins. And then somehow you gotta to piece together a couple of other games. It's uh it's to me a possibility.
1: I'm still a hardcore skeptic on Chris Sale, but I'm gonna also take the Angels in game three. I have it a sweep for the Angels, so Um, On that note, we will wrap. Uh, Tomorrow, you can uh, find Totally Legit or Calling the Cops fun format. Uh, Everyone enjoys it. So that will be out for your Tuesday morning commute. Everyone have a good start to your work week. Take care.